0: Millions are infected, and hundreds of thousands have died from a sweeping global pandemic. Millions more are left echoing the words and thoughts of atheist author Stephen Fry, calling out to God, how dare you, how dare you create a world in which there is such misery that is not our fault. It's not right, it's utterly, utterly evil. If the God of the Bible is in control of everything and knows everything, what possible reason could he have for allowing human pain to continue? Can anything good come from evil situations? Join us today as we explore the reason for pain.
1: Hi, this is Jerome.
0: And this is Grant.
1: Welcome to Reconciled, where we explore how Jesus finds us where we are, wherever we are, and leads us to where we need
0: to be. We've taken the last several weeks to explore the religious implications of pain and suffering. So far, we've walked through how different worldviews address the problem of pain, we've explored more deeply how the Bible introduces pain into the Christian story, and ultimately how evil and death were conquered through the sacrificial death of Jesus on the cross and in his resurrection. The Bible
1: promises what is true of Jesus will also be true for all who put their trust in him. Christians will ultimately overcome evil when they're raised from the dead, just like Jesus was when he returns to judge evil and death and set the world right again. That's where the biblical story is headed, straight through all of the problems.
0: But evil seems to continue. Why? Why do we see seemingly good and innocent people suffering for no apparent reason?
1: Yeah, it's, it's easier to make sense of our suffering when we can point to the root cause of it.
0: Sure, but even writers like C.S. Lewis acknowledge that while we were promised sufferings, even told, blessed are they that mourn, it's different when the thing happens to oneself, not others, and in reality, it's no longer part of your imagination.
1: Sure, there, there's, a, there's a whole deeper level of knowing a thing when you've experienced it yourself, um, but many people of faith wrestled with this very issue— People who even wrote chapters and books in the Bible, especially in the Psalms, there are dozens of these frustrated prayers of people suffering and they're crying out to God in pain. They say things like, you know, why are you allowing these terrible things to happen to me? And where are you? And wake up. And why aren't you doing anything about this? You know, why aren't you putting a stop to? it? Why have you abandoned me, God? So they were left with a lot of questions and the people of faith We're sometimes just as confused and frustrated as everyone else. But the Bible, so the Bible is very upfront about this. Everyone suffers. For instance, in the Psalms, David, he wrote a lot of the Psalms. And he said one time, many are the sorrows of the wicked. But the same David wrote in another Psalm, many are the afflictions of the righteous.
0: And that transparency is important, but it still leaves us asking, why have faith in the first place? How does faith in God help a person cope with suffering?
1: So the difference between a person of faith and a person without faith is that God promises to ultimately rescue those who live their lives by faith uh, from their suffering, which means trusting
0: God through your pain, holding on to God through your troubles. So faith never seeks to be an immediate remedy to pain. No. Because the perception is that Christians should go on smiling through life no matter how bad it gets.
1: Yeah, instead uh, it's about acknowledging our situation, being real about it, and then trying to reconcile it with what we know about God. Now, uh, we won't get in this uh, in detail in this discussion. We're going to talk about it in the next episode um, where we explore lamentation, which is a, a way of praying through your suffering to God.
0: If faith is trusting in God's love and power through our difficulties, how does faith start to help us with suffering in the present?
1: So one of the things that we know about God because he does it over and over and over again in the Bible, is that he's able to bring good out of evil situations. Like when things look really, really bad and the world looks like a total mess, God has proved that he hasn't moved, that he hasn't lost control of things. In fact, what we have what we see in the Bible is that he's able to use the evil choices that people make, really bad situations, and fold them into his own plan so that they actually bring about a greater good.
0: I want to pause because we've talked about free will before. What you're saying is that it's not God making people's choices or even endorsing the choices that people make that may be evil. Instead, this is God incorporating those choices or utilizing it to further his own ends? Exactly.
1: This is one of the great mysteries of God. He has total control of events, but he also allows us to make our own decisions you know, we can do a lot of damage to the world and our relationships with people and a lot of damage to ourselves through our own bad choices. But at the end of the day, it's not like God's plans are somehow thwarted by our choices or anything that we do. The ultimate example of this is when Jesus dies on the cross. You know, the Romans and the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem They actually thought they were defeating Jesus by nailing him to a cross, which, you know, that's what it looked like if you were there on that day. But really, behind the scenes, they were fulfilling God's plan to save them because it's through the sacrificial death of Jesus that God actually rescues people from their sins. So after Jesus dies and he's raised from the dead— The Apostle Peter actually stands up in front of the very people who crucified Jesus, and he says to them this. He says, This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So you see there, you've got both the guilty hands of men, and then you've got the hidden hand of God at work simultaneously. God's like turning their evil choices inside out. The next chapter, he preaches another sermon, and Peter says, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled.
0: Bringing about his promised plan of salvation by embracing the very choices of men and suffering that ensued instead of running from it.
1: Right. Another example, and this one's in the Old Testament, there was this Israelite, his name was Joseph, And his brothers hated him because he got special treatment from his dad. So his brothers uh, first decide to kill him. And then they settle for selling him as a slave to get some money. So Joseph, this young man, he winds up in Egypt working as a slave for this guy. And then to make matters worse, he's thrown in jail for doing the right thing. So here's a person who's suffering innocently, innocently and apparently pointlessly. But, but through a series of strange events in which he just kept on trusting God through it all, he rose through the ranks. He becomes like the prime minister of Egypt. And meanwhile, his family back home in Palestine is suffering this awful famine. And they have to come down to Egypt to buy food so they won't starve. And guess who's in charge of the food rationing in Egypt?
0: I'm guessing Joseph. Yeah,
1: but his brothers don't even recognize him because it's been years since they've seen him. He's probably dressed like an Egyptian. But eventually, Joseph reveals his true identity to them, and they're scared to death because they never thought they'd see him in a million years, let alone have to buy food from him. So they're begging for mercy, and this is what Joseph says to them. He says, Do not be distressed or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. So it was not you who sent me here, but God
0: So the point is not that God made them do these awful things to Joseph, but that he could orchestrate events to actually achieve his plans.
1: Yeah, their choices in no way nullified God's plan to keep the Israelites alive. And the other point is that even though Joseph's situation looked super depressing for a really long time, because of his faith, he was able to look back at what had happened and see God's hand at work. God took an ugly, evil situation— and through the faith of Joseph made good things happen. So faith believes and trusts in that truth. Now, later on, Joseph said, again, talking to his brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. And this is what Paul is after in Romans 8, when he's talking about Christians who are suffering terrible things and having this conviction, this faith in God. He says, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose.
0: And the end purpose and goal may include suffering in the present. Yes. But even if we accept that God can accomplish good things through suffering, what's the point of it today? If Jesus' death and resurrection were the great solution, What would God be working on to accomplish now?
1: Well, we could take the outbreak of the coronavirus as an example. Again, on the one hand, what we don't want to do is minimize or cheapen the suffering that people are experiencing and just say, well, see, good things are happening and it's all going to work out in the end, so it's okay. No, no, it's very clearly not okay. The negative impact of this globally is huge. Uh, The the pain that people are experiencing in hospitals and in, in their own homes is very real. Lives are being lost. People are, Children are being raised without their father, without their mother now as a result of this virus. People are losing their spouses, having to bury their own children and not even be able to grieve for them properly. And th- not to mention all the other ways that uh, suffering is manifesting itself through this disease, right? Domestic violence, drug abuse, economic hardship, like one in six Americans have lost their jobs to this thing. So we don't want to downplay that. But on the other hand, we also don't want to be blind to the good that is being done in the midst of this tragedy. There are moments, I have seen them, (laughs) when our nation's leaders who most of the time, they're just so vitriolic, so divisive, they're at each other's throats, where they actually put their differences aside to work together to solve the problem those times are few and far between but sometimes the clouds part and we see those little you know rays of sunshine there are countless sacrifices being made by parents by doctors and nurses by teachers scientists working on this vaccine engineers you know the workers who are putting their lives on the line for other people so in one sense suffering is actually opening this door It's creating this new opportunity that didn't exist before for people to exhibit these pure and good virtues, virtues like love and
0: patience and kindness and compassion, sacrifice and generosity. I'll agree that we've been seeing that, and it's it's wonderful to see that exhibited. Suffering can certainly bring out the best in people, but we've also seen the opposite too.
1: Yeah, difficult times are like tests to really see what we're made of. And the Bible describes the troubles we encounter in life as these fires that we pass through to burn away all the impurities from our character. And of course, it's not pleasant. Therefore, you have the image of fire, but there's a great deal of pain as we pass through. But if we're passing through those fires of difficulty with this mindset that God can accomplish something good from it all, then through that process you actually come out the other side a more beautiful version of yourself than you were from before the suffering. So if you really think about the times in your own life where you grew the most, they usually weren't during this, this season of rest and relaxation when you know everything is working out just like you planned it. We usually mature the most through those seasons of difficulty when we feel like our world is crashing down around us.
0: That's true, but why is it that it takes something tragic or some great upheaval for us to really grow as people?
1: I think it's because tragedy and loss force us to ask the tough questions that we might not normally want to ask when times are good, or we're too distracted by the good things to ask, so we sort of push them to the side. But suffering shocks the system into re-evaluating your life. And again, if if we take the current situation as an example— It's really forced people to face up to their mortality
0: and how fragile life can be. It feels like you're getting close to what Lewis says in the problem of pain. We can ignore even pleasure, but pain insists on being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. Mm. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world.
1: That's a great quote. It's so true. Tragedy is painful, but it has this strengthening effect. It has this way to bring our lives into clarity. When we suffer, we see how truly weak we are. And it forces us to trust in something greater than ourselves. And there is Jesus who has gone through the fires of suffering and pain and death himself. And he's waiting for us to put our trust in him, to believe in his love for us, to hope in that future that he's promised to those who love him. And that's why the Apostle Paul says, paradoxically, that Christians can rejoice in their sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character. We're being formed into the image of Jesus through that suffering when we trust in God. So pain is this strange and fiery teacher. It, it wakes us up to the truth of things. It's like Lewis said that you quoted it's God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world and maybe you know in that process of enduring some kind of hardship we realize we've been living for all the wrong things and maybe we need to reprioritize our life and that's why Peter says another reason why God allows the world to continue in its present state is because he's waiting for people to turn to him and repent and find forgiveness in
0: life. But what makes a Christian so certain that there's light at the end of that tunnel? Because you have to have a reason to endure pain and accepting that it's shaping you enough
1: I don't think it would be worth it if, if all it was is, well, this is just making me a better person here and now. Right? This goes back to the ideas we talked about before of judgment and resurrection. What Christians are ultimately hoping for is an end to all suffering and the inheritance of a new body and a new world without pain. This is salvation. We experience this salvation in its fullest sense only after the struggle. And again, Jesus is the one who paved the way for us. He was delivered through suffering, not from suffering, right? The cross came before the glory. His death came before his resurrection. So that sets the pattern for us. So the light at the end of the tunnel is our resurrection from the dead. And what makes that Christian hope so certain is that it's based upon something that happened in history, Jesus's resurrection from the dead. So without that hope, well, yeah, suffering doesn't make any sense at all, and all of our pain is senseless pain, and God is neither loving nor just. He would be an evil, capricious God, uh, as Stephen Fry said as you opened our discussion up with. But the God of the Bible is a just and merciful and patient and loving God, and he does promise to bring an end to suffering and evil. And that is the Christian's hope. So the implications of that hope is that all pain and suffering is ultimately temporary in nature.
0: You can endure a lot when you know it's not going to go on forever. Right. You know, that's probably why hopefully some of you are still listening out there. This will end, I promise. Yeah,
1: a couple more minutes here. Uh, Suffering has a way of, you know, increasing our desire for the end, doesn't it? When we know that things are going to turn out in the end, uh, we know that there's going to be a period of restoration, a period where this pain will be no more. So there's an inherent value in our present suffering, but we can only access it if we hold on to God through it all. Again, to quote Paul, now remember the Apostle Paul in the Bible, he was no stranger to suffering. This guy suffered a great deal in his life. And he said in the book of Romans, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Now that may sound like he's downplaying the darkness, right? Downplaying the evil things that we're exposed to in this world, but he's not. He's saying no matter how tragic, no matter how painful the struggles you go through in this life, the loss that you endure in this life, No matter how uh, terrible you're you're feeling at the moment, when Jesus appears to set things right once and for all, all of your suffering is going to be totally eclipsed by glory. As bad as those things are, they're not even going to be worth comparing with how good things will be. He says in another place in the context of the resurrection, so we do not lose heart. Paul says we're not going to give up. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison.
0: So we may not always understand the details, but the argument is that biblical hope is holding the bigger picture of God's plan before us while we suffer.
1: Yeah, and being okay with not having all the answers— We can't always find reasons for our suffering in the same way that a young child can't always understand why he has to go through this, you know, horrible medical procedure, right, that's supposed to maybe grant him, you know, a normal life later on, or why he doesn't understand why his parents are dragging him to the doctor to get this stuck with a needle, you know, to have this vaccine. So even reasoning has its limits. Uh, There are some questions that can only be answered through experience. So another biblical example of this is the person uh, Job in the Old Testament. And Job, he suffered the loss of almost everything. And so the whole book is him exploring this suffering and he's crying out to God. He's angry, he's frustrated, he's confused, and he's looking for answers. Why, 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 what have I done to deserve this? And he even starts to question God's character. And finally, God breaks the silence But what's interesting about the book of Job is that he never actually answers Job's question. Instead, what God wants Job to know is that he is still in control. He still is wise. He still is full of love, that he's still powerful. And the story of Job has one of the happiest endings of the Bible. But it was in his pain that Job, it's like he saw God in a new light. He says to God, when God answers him, he says, God, I had heard about you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. It's like now that I've undergone this suffering, I've got this deeper understanding of who you are an understanding that he never would have had if he hadn't gone through what he did. And in the New Testament, James uses Job as an example of how to endure suffering faithfully he says behold we consider those blessed who persevered you have heard of job's perseverance and have seen what the lord finally brought about the lord is full of compassion and mercy
0: and there's that big picture idea again what the lord finally brought about we may not always understand why bad things happen but the picture the Bible paints is of a broken world destined to be restored. Hope in that restoration is grounded in the resurrection of Jesus and serves as the sustaining power of the Christian faith through suffering. In the next and final episode in this series on the problem of pain, we will discuss how to process our pain through the discipline of prayer. We hope you'll join us next time, and thanks for listening.